0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
0: Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Ruth Flegman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday. Tuesday. September 20th, 2022.
0: In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young reports on food insecurity in Indiana. More in today's feature report.
2: Also coming up in the next half hour, the Bloomington Police Department notified the public earlier today about a potentially armed man in the sewer system. That's coming up next in your daily headlines.
0: Earlier today, the Bloomington Police Department advised residents to avoid the area between 1st Street to 3rd Street and Morton Street to Lincoln Street. This afternoon, BPD tweeted that they were searching the underground sewer system for a barricaded man. Police believe the man was armed with a gun. At the time of this reporting, no shots were reported being fired in this incident. An update came an hour later, saying the police were working with multiple agencies on scene including the City of Bloomington Utilities Department, to determine the underground sewer tunnels that a person could fit in. At around 2.30 p.m., BPD said police activities remain ongoing and that people south of Third Street to the area of First Street and Walnut may hear loud bangs in the future. Police requested that residents should continue to avoid the area. Furthermore, people may see smoke emerging from the sewer drains as a result of the bangs, according to BPD. This story is still developing. Updates will be posted online at wfhb.org following this broadcast.
2: At the Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting on September 12th, board member Kirk White asked Director of Utilities, Vic Kelson about the cost of carbon used to filter the water. Kelson replied the activated carbon is normally enough to handle contamination. However, these last two years have had unusual circumstances.
3: We feed activated carbon all the time in the summertime to control DBPs. And it also helps some with the taste and odor. We just had an, an excursion that was more than we could treat right now. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job
1: explaining how the, uh, the the department's doing its best to handle that over the last couple of weeks. Because my point was that if we're if we're making extra efforts, this may not be an extra effort; it may be just standard. But if we're making extra efforts, extra expenditures to to help the quality, the taste, and smell, then that's a good thing for the public to know.
3: I think so too. Yeah, um, we do. Uh, we started feeding it in twenty seventeen as part of trying to control disinfection byproducts more effectively. And we had a side effect, side benefit of taking out the taste and odor compounds. It used to be the water tasted like a lake basically all summer long and we got hundreds and hundreds of complaints. Um, So it's better, but these last two summers we've had some unusual circumstances and it's, yeah.
2: Next, Jane Flagg asked the board to approve an agreement with American Structure Point Incorporated to work on phase three of the Fullerton Pike project. This contract would be for additional services not to exceed $35,700.
1: Um, I'm asking for an approval of an agreement for consulting services with American Structure Point. Um, they performed uh, the design of our relocation of Water Main, Water Main relocations that would be required for Fullerton Pike Phase 3. They completed that design last year. At the time, we assumed that we would be doing this in-house with our own staff, so we didn't have a contract information book, we didn't have contract uh, bid documents, anything like that. Um, Now that we've had some turnover and and are kind of trying to reorganize our our staff and our crews, we've determined that it'd be better to go ahead and get this put out on the street for a bid to have a contractor do it for us. They can do it quicker and there's going to be a time limit in terms of getting our relocations done in advance of the road construction. So we expect our notice to proceed for that, for the relocations to be the end of this year or beginning of next year. So we're preparing bid documents to put this out to bid. So we're looking at adding construction or adding these services to American Structure Point. It's a brand new contract because we had completed the previous one. This will allow them to make just a few design changes, add traffic maintenance plans, um, prepare our bid documents, and then uh, perform bid assistance once we've received the bids.
2: The board approved the contract unanimously. The next Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting will be held on September 26th.
0: On September 12th, at the Ellettsville Town Council meeting, the council heard from town attorney, Darla Brown, again about the Parks Board Non-Reverting Fund.
1: At the last meeting, there was some discussion about some changes to be made to the language, and Sandy and I together looked at the minutes from the last meeting and the language that you have in front of you in Ordinance 2022-10, I think addresses everyone's concerns. And essentially in section three, instead of at the bottom of page one, instead of it saying that um, the parks department is going to handle the money, it makes it clear that the town clerk treasurer is going to do it. And um, I also added a section seven, which makes it clear that if the town council repeals the ordinance, the money's remaining in the fund will be transferred to parks and rec. The other, the general parks and rec fund that you have
0: open now. Council member Pamela Samples said she was not comfortable with designating the non-reverting fund when they have not discussed what the money would go toward.
1: I'm not comfortable with setting up a fund ahead of time for something that we haven't really decided that we're going to do. Like this fund is saying like we could collect money for like youth sports and stuff, but we haven't voted to have a youth sports or the town to be involved in that. And I am not don't feel comfortable setting up a fund ahead of time for something that we don't even know if we're going to do. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: President of the council, William Ellis, responded. My understanding
1: is is we're not creating a youth sports league. We just would be collecting money. That we're going to collect money right. that we can't revert
0: back if we decide not
1: to do it. Right, but it would be their money. It, we wouldn't be running the league.
0: Town Marshal Jimmy Darnell verified that the money in the fund would not be the town's.
1: It's all their money. right? We're just for responsibility or for, for uh,
3: credibility more than anything, they wanted to run it through the town and through the parks board. So Sandy's got it set up where we can do that. You know, the money's not the town's. It's just strictly a holding fund for those, for those leagues that they're going to have. So it's not any of the town's money at all.
0: Samples was still not sure about the fund and said she was worried about the liability of managing another organization's funds. Town manager Mike Farmer spoke to Samples and explained why the town was trying to help the Youth Sports League.
1: We are truly trying to help an organization that's interested in the kids' welfare and they think this will help them. So, but as far as liabilities, the reason you have so many uh, department heads and Sandy, who is Lake department head, um, is to make sure you don't have to worry about those liabilities. And then if things would get dicey, if you say we always have Darla. So, I mean, this is what we do for a living serve our community. So this is just another service we're going to provide. I think it's pretty mild compared to all the other things we have to tackle. And so i it's really just, it isn't even a bump in the road for me.
0: Town Treasurer, Sandra Hash, said she did have one concern with liability in regards to electronic receipts. I will say I do have one concern. And um, right now they are electronically
1: receiving receipts, which means I have to, you know, allow them into the town's checking. So if they ask me to do that, I probably
0: will uh, start another checking account independent from the general fund. Ellis motioned to table the vote. However, the motion did not get seconded. The council voted one to two, with council member Dan Swofford and Samples voting no, and Ellis voting yes. The ordinance failed, meaning they will not establish a non-reverting fund for the Board of Parks and Recreation. The next Ellettsville Town Council meeting will be held on September 26. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young reports on food insecurity in Indiana. He speaks with Executive Director of Feeding Indiana's Hungry, Emily Wykert Bryant, and the Executive Director of Hoosier Hills Food Bank, Julio Alonso, about the food supply shortage and why the need of hunger relief is more pressing than ever. We turn to Cade Young for more.
2: The Biden administration and the U.S. Department of Agriculture announced a $1.5 billion investment to fund emergency food assistance. Feeding Indiana's Hungry, the statewide association of Feeding America-affiliated food banks applauded the investment. According to the Map the Meal Gap study conducted by Feeding America, one out of every nine Indiana residents faces hunger. One in seven children in the state face food insecurity. The USDA defines hunger as a lack of consistent access to enough food for an active, healthy lifestyle. Research from Feeding America shows that people who are food insecure are prone to chronic diseases and adverse effects to their overall health. Data also shows that not having enough healthy food can have serious implications for a child's development, including chronic illnesses and behavioral issues. Emily Weikert Bryant, executive director for Feeding Indiana's Hungry, described how the government aid will impact Indiana.
4: So I don't unfortunately have a solid dollar amount for what will come to Indiana just yet, but generally speaking those funds and the the three different streams that they're talking about um, are distributed sort of on the same formula that they use across the country through the USDA. And there's three different streams of funding that will be coming. The first is nearly a billion dollars across the country to purchase food for emergency food providers like our member food banks. The food will be purchased and then the food will be what actually comes through the state of Indiana as well as some additional support incurred some additional support for the storage and transportation costs incurred for those particular loads of food. The second is nearly 500 million to expand the local food purchase assistance cooperative agreement program, which is already in existence. It, it currently is operating or will soon be operating in 48 states and 33 tribes and four territories working to purchase local foods for their emergency food systems. That will go through the state department of health and then out as they determine needs to happen for those programs. And then there's an additional nearly $500 million that is going to schools to purchase, help them purchase food for their lunch and breakfast programs. This is essentially a third round of supply chain assistance funds provided to states to support the purchase of American-grown foods for the meal programs. So all three of those different streams of food are, will be impacting different aspects of, of hunger relief and food assistance. We expect... The the announcement to be made shortly as to when and how and how much, but we expect to see that to start coming through Indiana in the beginning of the new federal fiscal year, which is October 1.
2: Hoosier Hills Food Bank is a regional organization serving six counties across south-central Indiana. It's a member food bank of Feeding Indianas Hungry. Executive Director Julio Alonzo reacted to the recent announcement of funding from the Biden administration and the USDA.
3: Well, this is very exciting and welcome news for us, definitely. The, uh, the downside, of course, is that we won't really start seeing this food until next year, but uh, it, it is very desperately needed. Uh, we have seen significant increases in demand for uh, for food among people coming to our pantries and coming to our own distributions since probably around April and levels were already high because of covid so this food is definitely going to to help us fill a gap because during covid we saw a huge jump uh, in 2020 from just dis- distributing about 5 million pounds of food a year to 7 million pounds within about a 9 month period And that leveled off a little bit in 2021 as as things got a little bit better, still higher than normal, but not quite as bad as 2020. And now the levels we're seeing are back up to or above what we were seeing in 2020. So we're very much looking forward to being able to get this food to help get it out to people who need it.
2: Meanwhile, Weikert Bryant said that food banks in Indiana are confronted with a severe food shortage. She explained how the recent investment aims to address the food supply crisis.
4: Food banks and food pantries and, and families are seeing the same thing across the country where, you know, inflation is still impacting food purchasing. And it's, it's certainly impacting our members as they source food. Food banks have food that come to them from a variety of sources. The first, obviously, is the USDA. The second is from retail and manufacturer donations. We've seen those not come back to pre-pandemic levels, uh, going back to supply chain issues and, and a lot of things in, in the, the, that particular sector, as well as purchasing food. And so our members to supplement where we've seen losses have been purchasing more food, uh, which obviously gets expensive, not typically the, the primary source of food. And it's, it's also been more difficult to to procure that food. Our members are sourcing food and essentially competing with retailers. To, to bring the food in that they need to to have to distribute. And so we've seen a, a decrease in food available while we've seen the need continue to stay at, at pandemic levels, essentially. If you looked at the food insecurity numbers that were released recently, food insecurity was was relatively flat. There was no statistically significant change between 2020 and 2021. What we expect to see differently in 2022 is a rise in food insecurity because During the pandemic, there were a number of programs that were helping not just food banks to source and and distribute food, but also helping households directly. Things like the child tax credit, direct payments, as well as additional SNAP benefits and free meals through schools. And so, as those programs are ending, we're seeing numbers rise in in our communities where people are in need of assistance where they maybe didn't before because those programs were helping them stay afloat. So, it's a, a bad combination of these programs ending before they need to, as well as our members not being able to access the food that we would like to be able to get to distribute.
2: Alonzo said he sees the food supply crisis firsthand at Hoosier Hills Food Bank. He explained that the need to address food insecurity in our region is more pressing than ever in 2022.
3: We saw a big spike in demand uh, at the start of the, the pandemic in 2020. And... While that was was, uh, disconcerting and unfortunate, the positive uh, side of that was that we also saw an outpouring of generosity, uh, both locally, state, national um, grants, Feeding America, individuals, companies coming forward with support enabling us to purchase food, and um, federal government programs stepping it up significantly to provide more food for us to to distribute. So during the height of that crisis, we fortunately had the resources that we needed to to be able to meet it. Uh, A little bit of that generosity continued into 2021 as things kind of leveled off somewhat. Um, And now that they've spiked again significantly, uh, unfortunately, that support is not really out there um in in the way that it was. So we are we and a lot of food banks across the country are struggling to meet that demand because we're not seeing the same level of support that we did previously. Through the uh, the uh, emergency food assistance program um through USDA is going to be uh, a significant help to us uh because that again, they stepped up significantly during the the year and a half or so of, of COVID, but then the federal commodities started dropping off as well. So getting those back on track is really going to have an impact.
2: Weikert Bryant explained that there exists a gap between urban and rural communities when it comes to food insecurity. She outlined that gap and explained how funding from the USDA would help alleviate that disparity.
4: The disparity it largely just goes back to the geography of it, right? There aren't as many places to access food. You know, there aren't as as many employment opportunities, often in rural areas. And so it looks different. So we've often seen food insecurity numbers to be similar in urban and rural areas, and then less so in in suburban areas. And so with this additional funding coming from USDA, as well as the programs that our members operate across the state all the time, we're serving in rural communities we're providing direct services either through a mobile food pantry. We're working with food pantries that exist in those rural areas. But there's really been a rising focus on rural areas as underserved areas to make sure that for our friends and neighbors in those areas, they're able to access the same programs that you would in, you know, more populous areas. Um, so this funding will enable more food to go out the door. It will um, help those schools be able to make sure they're getting the food they need for their students uh, in any setting, urban or rural. Uh, and also making sure that, that Hoosiers are able to access the resources that they, they need.
2: Alonzo described the state of food insecurity here in Bloomington, Monroe County, and the surrounding counties that Hoosier Hills offers services to.
3: Well, unfortunately, food insecurity is still a pretty significant problem here, uh, both locally and and in our region. Um, As I said, we we saw a big increase in people accessing food services during uh, the the height of the COVID pandemic. And while those numbers have dropped somewhat, um, they haven't dropped back to pre-COVID levels. And now, with inflation, uh, people are citing food prices and gas prices as significant reasons that they're having to access emergency food assistance. And we've seen huge spikes in demand at our food pantries and at our own programs since uh, since this spring. Uh, for example, we do a program called Fresh Fridays where we – Distribute food directly to um to families uh, here at the food bank once a month during the summer, and we had planned on serving about four hundred families uh, each distribution based on what we were doing last year. The very first distribution was over six hundred. The next distribution was over eight hundred. We're seeing twice as many people come through uh, as we had anticipated, and again, Most of them are indicating that high food prices, high gas prices are really putting a squeeze on them, and many of them are low-income seniors.
2: weikert Bryant walked through the importance of the work Feeding Indiana's Hungry does, saying that there's Indiana residents who have to make that difficult decision between paying their bills and putting food on the table.
4: I have the distinct advantage and, and honor to advocate on behalf of our organization's and the work that they do, um, you know, even having stable food insecurity numbers means that there are still too many people who are not able to access the food that they need um, with with the funding that they have available to have healthy lives. And the work that our members do is invaluable to not just provide that food to the families to, to help them get by, but it also frees up more of their disposable income so that rather than spending what income they have on groceries, they can pivot that and, and it's a trade off. They can pay the rent, the utility bills, uh, transportation and other costs. We know that our clients are making those choices every day. And so each day that our member food banks and their partners can provide food for that household, it frees up their their budget so that they can provide the other things that they need. So you know, even in a perfect world where we're, we're meeting the needs of nearly everyone in our community. There's always going to be somebody who has that emergency today, that, you know, job loss, that layoff, that medical uh, event, uh, that accident, um, things that, that changes the circumstances for, for some household that day very severely. And and that is their emergency. So there's, you know, little emergencies going on across the state to households and we help to seek, seek to help them with emergency food assistance.
2: Alonzo agreed, saying that no one deserves to face hunger and that Hoosier Hills provides one of the most basic needs people have.
3: You know, we we operate from the premise that no one deserves or needs to go hungry. There is enough food out there. Uh, to meet the needs of everyone, if we have the will to marshal the resources to um, to, to get it out there to people, um, food is clearly one of the most basic requirements for um, for human life and development. Um, there's water and there's air, of course, but uh, food is pretty much the most basic need that that everyone has, and uh, it it affects the lack of food affects people at both ends of the spectrum more negatively than anyone else. Uh, Senior citizens need access to nutritious food in order to to stay healthy. And uh, they need that food provided to them so that they don't have to make choices between medicine and food, for example. Uh, And children at the other end of the spectrum uh, definitely need to have high nutrition in order to be able to Develop and grow the way that they need to, and uh, there could be serious consequences if they they don't get the nutrition that they need. And then, of course, everyone in between uh, as well needs needs food resources. So, we think it's it's providing one of the most basic needs that people have, and um, we're we're just grateful that we've uh, generally had the community support necessary to be able to to meet. Uh, what what is unfortunately right now a growing need?
2: Weikert Bryant called on residents to help out in their communities to help those in need. She said while volunteer activity increases during the holidays, she sees food insecurity throughout the year.
4: If you're able, help out in your communities. We know that um there's always a need for volunteers at you know, Hoosier Hills Food Bank and, and the pantries that they work with. Uh, there's always a need for funding. There's always a need for food, uh, and lots of the work is driven by volunteer activity. So if you have the ability, um, now is a great time to get involved. Any day is a great day to get involved. I know we're looking to go into the holidays, and that's when a lot of people think about food assistance, but quite frankly, we see it year-round. So it's 365 days of the year. Um, And so any any of those days and any of that time that you have that you might be able to help out or advocate on their behalf uh, is always appreciated.
2: Alonzo thanked the community for their generosity during the COVID-19 pandemic, but he reminded residents that the need for hunger relief has not let up.
3: First, a thank you to uh, to what is a very generous community that has helped us get through the last two and a half years or so of this COVID pandemic. Um, but also just a reminder again that even though it seems like COVID may be over or, or waning at least, uh, the food insecurity crisis is not gone um, people are really being squeezed by inflation and a lot of people have not yet recovered from uh, the the impacts of the pandemic so we're see- seeing significantly higher levels of need than we did in 2019 before the pandemic and we're actually reaching The heights of that pandemic need. Um, Last month, for example, August was the biggest distribution month in our 40-year history. So uh, I just want to remind people that that need is still out there and that we and and other hunger relief organizations still need their support.
2: To learn more about Hoosier Hills Food Bank, you can visit hhfoodbank.org.